0: Our reading this morning will be from Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 17 through 24. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. If you're following along in a pew Bible, that will be page uh, 1040. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to walk all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. That you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness.
1: Good morning. It is so good to see each of you. If you are visiting with us again, we welcome you. Thank you for being with us. Uh, You honor us with your presence, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you uh, by you being here today. We look forward to getting to know you better. Uh, We are proud of our young people that will be going to camp to invest a week of their life in an opportunity that should be a lot of fun, but it also should be a spiritual opportunity for them to grow and reflect upon God's will as they think about being an apprentice to the master and we appreciate Phil and Kevin that have worked so hard this summer in many many aspects of our youth program and this week is just another one of those weeks and we appreciate each of you adults several adults will be going along this week uh, to be a part of this week and most of us adults understand that it might not be the most comfortable environment but you're doing that to sacrifice for our children And we really appreciate that. Thank you for making that sacrifice uh, for the well-being and the growth of our children. We continue the second part this morning of a lesson that we began last week as we consider a series throughout the year of morality matters, and especially in this two-part series marriage matters because it is under discussion even now and will be voted upon by our legislation in the next week or two as to whether or not we should define marriage in our constitution to protect that definition of marriage. And if you want to know more about that, be sure and contact Jeff Fortner. He can give you all the information that you need to know about that matter. But as we think about the definition of last week of marriage, one thing that we did not address that might be of interest to many of you, it's also debated whether or not there's marriage in the animal kingdom. And there was debate about whether it was or was not, and finally it was proven that there is marriage in the animal kingdom, and this picture will prove to you that there is marriage in the animal kingdom. Um, well, maybe not. That's a pretty bad joke. Um. Uh, But it, it does remind us as we ask the question, marriage, how is it to be defined? If it is open for discussion, so anyone can define marriage however they want it to be defined, who could stop their pets from marrying? Who could stop an individual from marrying their pets? Who could stop groups from marrying? And the things just mentioned are not that far away if our society the fact that there is no divine definition of marriage. And so this morning, let's think back of some of the things that we covered. The first eight or nine slides will be just a quick review of what we covered last week as we covered the truth, and this week we'll expose some lies. As we think about making light of immorality, we live in a society that feeds off the idea of breaking rules making light of things that have always been set. For example, the Azuzu commercial, The World Has Boundaries, Ignore Them. Or Outback Steakhouse, No Rules, Just Right. How does that have anything to do with steak? It doesn't, but it triggers the thoughts of so many today that love the idea of going against the boundaries and breaking the rules. And so therefore, we're finding ourselves as a civilization falling into deeper depths of immorality. Or the NFL video game that says no refs, no rules, no mercy. Or the Comedy Central that says see comedy that breaks the rules and all you have to do is watch a few advertisements for just a few minutes and you'll see that these kind of punchlines in the advertisements are not necessarily advertising the product as much as it is just to get the attention to draw the heartstrings of a public that says I can relate to that. I love to break the rules. Now, when we did this introductory series a while back, we looked at the Barna Research Group and the statistics that they have given. And if you'll notice the first column, we're just going to simply allow you to remember that we talked about these things. The first column are all adults in this survey that was done across America of what is morally acceptable. And you see there, 61% says gambling. 60% says cohabitation. Lust, abortion, fornication, pornography, going 59, 45, 42, and 38. And going to the next slide, we see that even homosexuality, 30% of all adults say that Just on this slide, let's mention this before we move on. What Barnes said was most interesting about all of this is not just the numbers themselves, but everyone... Let me rephrase that. Most of all those surveyed gave the answer that they perceived themselves to be highly moral. And when they were asked the condition of America, most answered, morality is on a steep decline in America. And Barnes summarized this to say, Isn't it interesting that people have not put two and two together to realize their actions are responsible for the decline in America? Do you see that? Most are saying they're highly moral, but most are saying we're on a decline. In other words, we as American society are not ready to take responsibility to say, you know, my actions have an effect on the rest of the world. If I want to choose that fornication's all right, homosexuality's all right, gambling's all right, drinking, pornography, all these things are all right, I can label myself as a highly moral person and then scratch my head and wonder why Is America becoming so immoral? So as we think in this particular lesson of marriage, last week we looked at these truths about marriage. Let's skip the next two about the text here that we talked about in depth last week about our morality being depraved because of our mind is depraved of morality. And whatever our mind takes in and lives, that's what we become, that's what we do. Notice the next slide. These are the six things that we just read in the text that was so capably read for us just a few moments ago their understandings darken they become alienated uh, from the life of God notice not just from God but the life of God pulling away from godly people pulling away from godly activity etc and in that we become ignorant of our beliefs to the point that somebody says I really don't believe that's wrong a faithful Christian says how can you not believe that's wrong they're ignorant they have moved away from righteousness to the point that the individual is on a downward spiral moving to the very point that the fourth one mentions past feelings. There's no more guilt. The first three somewhat associated with guilt. The fourth one, the individual says, I'm immoral and I'm proud of it. And that's where 5 and 6 comes in to talk about all lewdness, all badness, all evilness, all wickedness, to even become greedy of it. And today we say, well, why do some, whether they're fornicators, adulterers, homosexuals, why do they want to redefine marriage? Why? Because of number six. They're greedy for all of this. In other words, it's not enough for them to be immoral. They want others to accept their immorality, and they want others to be a part of their immorality. Now, as we think of all of this, last week we looked at four truths. The first thing we looked at is the truth, the institution of marriage itself. It's the oldest institution on earth. God designed it, and it is the foundation of every society that has ever done well in America today. The second slide that we saw last week was the design of marriage. When we consider the design of marriage, it is God that designed marriage. And God designed marriage to be a very beautiful... union. Going to the third slide, the truth is that that becomes the definition of marriage. You remember last week we looked that you only have to go back and read dictionaries that are only ten and fifteen years old to see that the definition in dictionaries of marriage was just as God defined it. It's only in the last few years that even uh, secular dictionaries have begun to redefine marriage based upon some of society's downcline or decline immorality. And so we stop and say, well, who's going to define it then? Are we going to let Webster define it? we Are going to let society define it? God's already defined it. He defined it as a man and a woman leaving the mother and father and forming their own home and cleaving, the blending of their lives together in every aspect and becoming one. That's the physical way in which God designed our anatomy so that man and woman would enjoy that physical relationship that's only designed for man and woman in the boundaries of marriage. And then Jesus added to that in Matthew the 19th chapter, what God has joined together. That's another part of the definition. It's not only on earth, but it's recognized by God. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Now, let's consider some of the lies that are being said today. And I'm not suggesting to you that everybody is saying the same thing. That would be foolish. But if we listen to the attacks today on marriage, these are some of the things that either are said or they are implied by what else is being said. Number one, marriage is too restrictive. I doubt any of us had the wisdom, and that might not be fair to say. I doubt few of us had the wisdom back in the 60s to recognize that what was happening in what was called a sexual revolution would actually 40 years later bring its head above the water to show itself that it will be completed as an attack on marriage. You see, the idea that in the 60s, the leaders of this movement were saying, we're sexually oppressed. There shouldn't be rules. We should be allowed to do and to practice whatever we want to do and practice. And now looking back, we realize things like Roe v.ersus Wade was not just about abortion. It was about individuals having what they believed to be control over their sexual behavior. In other words, we want to act and do how we want to act and do, and we want to be able to easily remove any of the consequences for what we do. In other words, we don't want people looking down upon us. We don't want to have to bear uh, a child that we do not want. But yet at the same time, we want to be able to practice exactly what we want to practice, right or wrong. And then just last year, the Lawrence case was one of several cases that are unfolding across America where something that was always considered illegal in America up until the last few decades, and that being homosexuality. Now, the Lawrence case is one of what the gay and lesbian community says is their greatest success to date, and that is that no one will be able to tell them that they're... with me for just a moment this is about marriage saying it's true too restrictive you're t- only a man can share in an intimate relationship if they're married to each other no you're not going to oppress us with marriage by that definition And so for four decades, there's been a fight in America to say, you're not going to do it, you're not going to do it. And the truth is, the saying is now, we'll just redefine marriage. We'll make it so that we'll give an honorable term to our sins. And the question will be, over the next few weeks and months, will we, as Americans, move? To that lower level of immorality. Let's look at a second slide that also was another lie. Marriage is too permanent. See, we can talk about the last five to ten years, the homosexual community attacking the foundation of marriage, but we have to admit, as American society, it was weakened tremendously. Before that, as there have been the fornicating flings and there have been the adulterous escapades those things have already shaken the foundation of marriage. You know, there's only a few things that the homosexual community can say that we kind of have to bite our tongue at this one statement and say, you do have a point there. And when they say, when we say marriage is honorable and it ought to be protected, the homosexual community now has a comeback line that says... How honorable is it when over a million divorces are taking place in America? Where's love? Where's commitment? And you're telling us we're going to hurt marriage? Well, two wrongs don't make a right. But there is a very significant point there. And that is if we truly believe that marriage is an institution by God, designed and defined by God... We all need to think about to what extent we believe this. Over a million children, new children, are affected each year by divorce. When we take all of the countries in America, America is third on the list for the highest rates of divorce per thousand people capita. And the other two countries are tiny countries that have a lot of problems. And then, Tennessee, the Bible Belt, the buckle of the Bible Belt, some of the highest divorce rates in the country. You see, we're struggling in the Nashville area to believe and to live our beliefs that marriage, by God's design, is to be permanent. It was Jesus Christ that said, What man has joined together, let no man put asunder. And that brings us to a third lie. And that is, marriage is too unselfish. Uh, In other words, the, the idea behind this is, we'll go along with this relationship in marriage, but at any time it's not fulfilling what I want, at any time I'm not happy, I'm not going to practice unselfishness. I'm getting out of this thing. Or if you define marriage the way I don't like it, if God defines marriage the way I don't like it, I'll just redefine it the way I like it. See the self-centeredness? I'll just redefine it the way I like it and I'll put the label marriage on it anyway. And so, really, the idea is something that we've talked about for quite some time, but it's interesting now as an attack on marriage itself is being made, this very characteristic of marriage is becoming a valuable discussion. And that is are we going to be selfish or unselfish as individuals? Now, think about it. First and foremost, as Christians, we must be unselfish toward God, first and foremost. Jesus said, and man will come after me, cross, and The very first thing we have to do to become a Christian, the very first thing we have to do to remain faithful to God is to say, God, your will be done in all things, none of self, all of thee. Unless... Forget what God says. It doesn't matter anymore. How many times have you and I run into individuals that are having serious marital problems and that individual say, but I will stay with this individual because I love God. Isn't it a shame some people say, I'll stay with them because I love my children. But they won't do that because they love God. Friends, the Lord teaches us the first and greatest commandment in Matthew the 22nd is the 22nd chapter, verse 37, is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, and all thy strength. The second commandment under it is to love thy neighbor as thyself. And our spouse would be our neighbor. Why would we love our spouse? Because first and foremost, we love God. Does that require unselfishness? Absolutely. It requires 100%. Total commitment to God. And then if we want to look beyond that, second, a commitment to our spouse. Notice, it is unconditional commitment. It's a sacrificial commitment. It's not based upon what they do or don't do. It's based upon what we said when we made the vows that day that we love you for better or for worse. Now let's think for just a moment. I think sometimes we real quickly in our minds, we think about the richer and the poor, and the sickness and in health. Let's go back to that very first one for just a minute. If we're truly unselfish, what does that mean for better or for worse? I'm married. I'm very unhappy in my marriage. God never promised I'd be happy. But I have a peace that passes understanding because I've committed my life wholly to God. For better or for worse. Death and fornication of the spouse, Matthew the 19th chapter, is the only way God will allow the individual to divorce and not sin. The other has sinned, and not the one that's innocent of the fornication. What's the point? The way God designed marriage, it's all about selfishness. Christianity is the only faith that demands total unselfishness. And so when people understand God's definition of marriage, it only makes sense if they begin to say, we don't like that. We don't like it. It makes us look guilty. It convicts us. And instead of changing lives, let's change the definition of marriage itself. But then also something that... As we consider the fourth lie here, I don't know how long and to what extent these are popping up often among religious and trying to make words of justification to accept homosexual marriage the two words, spirituality and justice There's a particular website where especially the religious people are being invited so that they can learn how quote god would want them to accept the homosexual community this is what it says and you can read along with me the church has often kept these two words separated talking about justice and spirituality at this 2004 GLAD event, and that's the Gay and Lesbian Affirming Disciples Alliance. At this 2004 GLAD event, we will bring them together. You see, the implication is that in the past, religious people have never brought together spirituality and justice. Using scripture and lived experiences, we will explore all of these words and find interesting that will enrich our lives and make a difference in the world. The event will be led by a spiritually grounded justice leader and a justice-seeking spiritual leader. Come and find practical and proven ways to integrate both justice work and deep spiritual growth into your life. In other words, the idea here is if we are spiritually minded, we're going to accept everyone. And if we accept... To not make them feel guilty for a t- style that they have chosen. In other words, let's deal justly with them as if to say that to say homosexuality is sin. Now let's think about this for just a moment. Romans the first chapter says that homosexuality is a sin that will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now let's think about this word "justice" in Romans the fifth chapter. I'm sorry, John the fifth chapter, as we look at the next slide. The next slide in John the fifth chapter, you'll see the third bullet there. In John the fifth chapter, notice verse 30. He says, "I can of myself do nothing. This is Jesus. I can of myself do nothing as I hear." Now what does he hear? He hears? own will but the will of the father thing that he's going to do why because the word judgment means divide because he says everything that is right the lord has told us how to divide that everything that's sin the lord has told us how to divide that and he says i'm not going to judge based upon any one i'm going to judge based upon what the father has said and if we listen to jesus and we speak where jesus speaks have we dealt in an injustice no if you have your bibles turn back to amos the 5th chapter in Amos we read some of the greatest explanations of justice and injustice in a society where individuals were getting very close. They were at the point where they are today and, and things and how they unfold in the next few weeks will be path. Listen about justice here. We're reading in Amos the 5th chapter in verse 7. You who turn... Now notice, you who turn justice to wormwood and lay righteousness to rest in the earth. Now what's happened here? He says, you've taken what should be justice, saying this is right and this is wrong, and you've made it something very bitter. And so he pleads with him to at least make it right in the civil affairs. Skip down to verse 15. Hate evil... What was decided at the gate would be the direction that the entire community would travel. Just like today, what's decided perhaps in the Supreme Court or what's decided in legislation, that is the way in which America back to the gate. You're lying to yourself about what's right and wrong out in the community, and you're lying to yourself in the, the affairs that legislate you. Change it at the gate. And then we read verse 24. But let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. All of us have seen rivers that perhaps they're rushing so fast we say it's a mighty stream or maybe it's broken its banks and it's rushing along. And we look at the power of that water That is the kind of stream that he describes here, a mighty rushing stream. He says, let justice fall down. In other words, in this day and time, people could have said to Amos, do you realize if we stand for righteousness how it's going to convict the whole community? And God says, let it run down and convict the whole community. Let righteousness flow. One more verse from Amos, seventh chapter, verse 12. I'm sorry, sixth chapter verse 12, sixth chapter verse 12. He asked some questions here that any of you that grew up in the country are going to appreciate. The horses run on rocks, not if you care for your horse, or not if you don't want to fall. You run on rocks very long, your horse is going to fall. And your horse is going to hurt his feet. Horses run on rocks. They knew the answer to that. No. Horses don't run well on rocks. Does one plow there with oxen? You ever tried to plow a limestone field? You don't do it. It doesn't matter how hard you work, you don't plow a limestone field. Yet, you have turned justice into gall, into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. What did they do? He says, let's look at some common sense here. You know horses don't run on rock. You know you don't plow rock. Why have you taken something as beautiful as justice and you've turned it into poison? Poison? Yeah. You're poisoning your society, is what he's saying to them. Your nation is going to collapse. And today as we think about the irony that many in a religious community are actually arguing that homosexuality and homosexual marriages ought to be accepted in the name of justice. And Amos would write and say, you're poisoning us. Turn back to righteousness and let it flow like a mighty river. We're going to close with just a couple of comments in one scripture. What is good about marriage? Number one, the male-female companionship is by God's divine plan. That's wonderful. Number two, marriage is the foundation of every society that's done well. The first society, Adam and Eve, marriage was the foundation. After the flood, Noah, his wife, three sons, and their wives was the foundation of society again. It makes healthier individuals. Homosexual men die of an average of 10 to 20 years earlier than heterosexuals. And we could talk about other diseases that affect even those that are heterosexual but yet are not faithful to one spouse. Let's look at a, third, a fourth thing as we go to the next slide. What is good about marriage? It multiplies a godly legacy. In the Scriptures, God links... The Design of Husband and Wife to Raising Godly Children at Least Three Times links it very straightforward that if we want to create an environment to raise godly children, God designed that when He designed male and female. Also, not only does it make healthier individuals, what's good about marriage is it makes healthier societies if we took all of the homosexuals and placed them in a city and built a wall around them, and we took all of the fornicators and adulterers and we placed them in another city and built a wall around them, and we took all of those that were faithful to one spouse and we put them in another city and built a wall around them, And history proves that time and time again. And then, finally, I would say most of us here are Christians. I would say that spiritual things are a concern to you or you wouldn't be here this morning. One of the greatest reasons that it ought to be a concern to us, the blessings of marriage, is because the share in a sexual relationship outside of marriage will condemn ourselves. 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, verse 9, as we close. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. But by the grace of God, we still can be saved. You see, verse 11, And such were some of you. But you were washed. What's that talking about? It's talking about baptism. What did someone have to do before they were baptized? They had to repent. They had to turn away from that. They were washed. They were sanctified. Their new life now sets them apart. They're not living that same sinful life. They're set apart. What else? They were justified. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. God speaks about sexual sins and justification. We just read a website that said we haven't done a very good job as religious people blending those two ideas. God does. He blends them together in one statement. He says if you're guilty of sexual sins, you need to repent and turn away from those to be justified. Period. If someone thinks that the definition of marriage is a little bit gray, their understanding has darkened. Ephesians 4 and verse 17. It's not gray with God. God defined it in the very, very beginning. And He has brought that definition all the way through the Scriptures this morning, let's make sure that we're making a commitment within us, that no matter what our society does, we're going to live God's plan in our lives. Let's make sure that we realize that we are recipients of the blessings of a great nation. And along with blessings comes responsibility. And if we're going to be good stewards, now would be a good time to stand up and let our voice be heard, that we are concerned with how marriage is defined in our Constitution. This morning, if you've never been adopted into God's family, the family is a wonderful design, physically and spiritually. If you've never been baptized into Christ for the remission of those sins, if you have been baptized into Christ and somewhere you've left Him in some way, won't you come back to Him this morning? Let's all leave here this morning faithful in our family of God faithful to our Father. Our brother is our Savior. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.